0: Hello, audience. Hello, Mr. Schlagita. It's great to have you here. Uh, today, we're talking about wind and the Abo wind. And uh, for the beginning, I would like to ask you, what does Abo wind stand for? What does the Abo stand for? And when did you get in touch with the company?
1: Yeah. Hello, Tilman. I'm I'm happy to be with you today in this interview. And it's of course a question uh, everyone poses that is really interested in ABO and in, in Germany. That's kind of if you if you uh, if you buy a newspaper on a regular basis. So that's definitely not what it stands for. It comes from our founders. It's An, Dr. Arn, who's one of the founders, and Bockhold. So Abo Wind, uh, and uh, 25 years ago, when ABOWind Wind was founded. Um, definitely we were fully focused on wind. And today I hope we not only talk about wind, but also solar storage and other technologies, because today we not only have have wind in our portfolio.
0: Yes, we will talk about different technologies of renewables. Uh, when did you get in touch with the company? Since when are you part of the team? And what was your role before you came on the board?
1: yeah actually it was uh, also a funny story. I was responsible before I joined ABO for a large utility in Peru so I was living in Peru and uh, I needed to close down the subsidiary there and then I, I said okay I change I change uh, my job to a new uh, responsibility I wanted to be and continue in an entrepreneurial mindset and I sent two applications and gladly um the team here responded immediately. So we had the first interview from from Lima, Peru um, with the team here, then I flew over once and we met then the first time in 2013. And I started with the role of, um, of general manager. That's the second level at ABO Wind. And I was responsible at that time for some of our international markets. It was Ireland, Spain, uh, part of u k and then continually um, i grow my grow my responsibilities
0: and since when are you part of the board
1: uh it's now three years yeah. so i had my my first extension of the contract and it was a fantastic um, yeah journey together with the founders with my uh, other co uh, vorstand yeah it, it is very joyful working here it has a great Purpose. I mean, we do something good for human mankind and I, th- I think that's motivating in itself and it's exciting.
0: Tilman here. I want to invite you to support my work below. You can find a link to the thank you page. Just click on it. There you find ways to support me and allow me to produce further great videos like this for my channel. Thank you. I hope you can answer my next question a bit um, because. It's going back ten years ago um, to the renewable industry. So, what was the state of the industry ten years ago, and what is? How would you describe it today in comparison?
1: Yeah, it has changed completely, and and that's what makes it so uh, so um, yeah interesting, uh, also challenging. I mean, we could even go let's start twenty years ago because I think it's important to understand. So when you listen to the founders. It was really fighting against everyone. Uh, I mean, fighting against, so to say, the virtual windmills, the, the uh, administrations, the big utilities. We were really the outcasts, the outsiders. Yeah, we believed in, uh, in renewable, uh, but that was a niche, a niche market. Turbines were very small. Percentage of uh, electricity generated by renewables was um, very small, but people. Um, understood already there of course we had club of rome discussions all of that is well known we already knew at that time that climate change uh, is an important factor so it was really um, that we started and and built something big it was visionary at that time of course i was not there so it's really the job and the uh, the uh, yeah the 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 story of our founders. And then 10, 10 years later, 15 years later, you, you say 10 years ago, there it started probably to get more and more mainstream. So the first utility companies started to switch to renewables. Before that, it was like, wow, renewables, what what's that? It has had no no importance for them. The big thing was still coal and gas. But then there was a shift, some utilities started understanding, they started building their own renewable teams, their business development teams. Um, And we grew, of course, the company, we made it each and we continue doing so each year more professional. And 10 years ago, I mean, that's also an interesting story. Maybe we still believe that solar uh, has not really a chance. So five, six, seven years ago, then we really understood also that wind, wind uh, in some market, um, is beaten um, uh, with respect to price by solar, and we started solar. You know? So I mean, maybe that gives you a bit the dynamic. And today, I mean, to continue to, to your question, it's really we are in in the middle of the energy transition. Yeah, you know? it's uh, it's mainstream now. Um, now it even comes to the oil majors. So. We are in in the center of of this um energy transition,
0: so with the next question, your answer will might be truly be wrong because I want to look out for the next ten years and what is your take on the future of the industry for the next ten years, but it's about the future so what what do you think might happen uh in the next ten years
1: yeah i mean <laughs> you you said uh, giving forecasts we are most certainly wrong, uh, but I think what we can see clearly today is that uh, renewables will continue their path and they will uh, the build out of renewables will, will speed up. The ramp up will speed up. I mean, there are any number you want in the market, but uh, I would say it's legitimate to say the, the speed of investment, the amount of investment at least will double in the next 10 years compared to the last 10 years. And it will get a different um, angle. Also, we will now really see, uh, and that that has started. That's irreversible. We we see a sector coupling. I think that's the new, the new really story that that drives additional growth of the sector. So, while we had in the past purely a focus on electrification in a sense of renewables uh, replacing coal and gas. Now we start with electric vehicles to electrify the transport sector. And we see, since last year, a huge discussion about uh, also decarbonizing the industry via electricity. Uh, And one way, and I think this will really pick up in the next 5, 10, 15 years, uh, is the hydrogen business. And green hydrogen, you need, again, renewables. So demand is huge.
0: What is your internal forecast for the next years?
1: You if mean you now at, at Abo uh, Abo Wind, or you mean for the market? No, in the
0: for the market for the wind market or the energy market. What do you ah.
1: Yeah, we see uh, we see uh, um, uh, enormous growth rates in, in many markets. I mean, we did not yet discuss about uh, about our markets. We we are in sixteen uh, markets or. The pace of electrification and decarbonization will be different uh, in any market, but in the European Union, as we talked just yesterday, um, the European Union um, yeah, uh, raised their targets, pres- uh, made uh, details about their strategy. So, uh, and I, I believe in that scenario now that the EU sets uh, to us, so we will have. 55% of, of less carbon dioxide compared to 1990 and that means um, in, in most markets that we really need to double the capacity. So it's a, a, what we, we came to um, the current situation in 25 years, so we will double this at least uh, in the next 10 years.
0: Where do you see the biggest hurdles and problems for future growth of renewables?
1: again it depends a lot of uh of on on the individual markets you look at yeah? so in germany we are densely populated countries so the surface the surface available for wind energy solar energy is definitely the the key i mean uh, we have a lot of resistance by close by uh, households. So this is the main challenge. In in other markets, maybe it's the economic environment. For example, uh, let's go to the other end. Maybe um, we have large surfaces in in in, uh, in in Africa or in Argentina, but then you have very high capital costs, and uh, uh, yeah, and political instability, and not at all resistance yeah in some areas. Uh, we do not face any resistance. Quite the opposite. So people welcome fully uh, if you install windmills because then they get at least some jobs, taxes. It depends where we look at. I mean, if you want, we can, of course, focus in some of the markets.
0: We will in during the interview. Good. And uh, is, is steel price, for instance, a topic for you? Uh...
1: Absolutely. It's, it's steel. It's... Uh, uh, it's uh, all all the components we need for batteries. We need for uh, for the production of modules like wafer and silicium. So all these prices um, are really important. And what what you read also a lot in the press and all industries are affected. But it affects us as well as logistics costs. Whereas for example in module prices you usually add 1.2 cents per kilowatt on logistics. Now we add. Currently, we had five, so it ha- it has really skyrocketed. It's amazing.
0: What are other uh, parts of this calculation? If you do them, like logistics, steel. What are other parts that are important to consider?
1: Uh, if we evaluate a wind farm, yeah, we have. I mean, very clear cost structures. So, um, of course, it's the components, but that's only one thing. It's the turbine itself or the solar module. Then you have the grid connection cost. It depends on at what voltage level you can connect. So this is a very important uh, uh, determinant. And um, we have the the cost of the land. If you you need to pay extremely high rents like in the Netherlands um, or other um, high value markets for land, then uh, it drives up your costs considerably and last but not least that what many forget is financing costs so of course the industry now profits a lot from a very low interest environment and from a lot of money that pours into green bonds and any kind of green financing
0: maybe let's take a look and with the 10 years perspective and the investors that changed or the five-year perspective what investors were there are currently in the renewable business that weren't there five or ten years ago?
1: You mean ent- entrants that came in the last years?
0: Like not com- like investors that want to invest in like wind parks, solar parks. Are there many new coming uh, new investors?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When when we go twenty years back, we had mostly private investors that really believed in something good for the planet. That way, idealists. Uh, and we cher- cherish a lot of these shareholders because many of them are with us, and these are really valuable and and believe in, in some greater purpose. So th- that's great to have them still on board. Um, and then, I mean, in recent years, really the finance industry noted that on the one hand, industries need to undergo transformation. Really, to understand that uh, energy transition is needed to fight cl- climate change, uh, so they they look in all these ASG topics, and on the other end, many pour directly into investments in renewables or in companies like like us that uh, invest and uh, purely purely doing business in the renewable sector. So, so we had a lot of entrants from. Uh, family offices from uh, from large asset managers um, but also of course a lot of interest in, in acquisition uh, of, of projects or in investing in ouro wind by pension funds uh, and and even oil companies are interested in, in these sectors today. It has changed completely. so if you have a nice project that is bankable, has a tariff, then there is a large large queue uh, behind such assets um, that want to buy.:
0: Maybe on this also has implications for the financing costs. Uh, do you have a rough sketch how they got down like the fi- last ten or five years? Uh,
1: there, there was a huge a huge uh, decrease in cost. i mean I mean it's totally correlated with the interest rates. Of central banks, you can uh, you can I mean you simply can look look that up. I mean, when today we, we have almost negative interest rates um, for for uh, I mean central bank rates for for ten years. So so you add two two or three percent depending on on a, um, where in an industrial market you are. So and and it has decreased the line with uh, with these uh, yeah with with the general interest environment. It's really, it's a huge impact, um, but also people then ask, hey, and what happens if it goes the other way around? Uh, And then, I mean, simply we need to say, then usually we are very well protected because I mean, then usually tariffs of electricity go up as well. Uh, So then prices rise again. And then, so to say, we, we are in a natural hedge,
0: That's good to know. Maybe (laughs) let's take a look at the uh, value that Abowind adds to the renewables production ecosystem, I would call it, or the production of renewables. And I brought a slide from your slide deck for this and uh, would like to ask you to guide us a bit through the different segments you have as Abowind, and maybe also highlight what are the most important fields for your business and which are the strongest, like let's start with the most important fields and maybe describe the fields of business you're
1: doing. Yeah, here here you are with the functions and the value chain uh, we, we add. And that's interesting. So we do that technology-wise for wind, solar, storage, and uh, more and more also for hydrogen projects. And explaining exactly what we do, uh, you asked also, are are there new investors, new market entrants, one could also say, and let's also focus on what protects us, what, what creates market barriers, so... These are
0: my questions that are coming up. <laughs> oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry,
1: I'm sorry. No to problem. But I think th- this is usually what is interesting for a general audience, not an investor-like audience. So, site acquisition—the first one—that's that, already one of these high entry barriers. Today, there is a huge competition uh, for for land rights. Yeah. So, you, usually, you rent the land for 25 years, 30 years. Uh, today, even some projects for 35 years or longer. And and to get these, you need really need people decentrally on the ground that are able to speak to landowners that have the same language, that are not arrogant, that are like I mean that have the same flavor, and and that's what our teams do all over the world. So our planning people they uh, with with today with uh, geo information systems, you identify sites, you go to the landowners, and then. You put them under contract. And then we start the next phase, the development. Then you ask for uh, or you, you provide. Maybe let's yeah.
0: uh, stick with the, the site acquisition. Uh, is it different in different destinations? Like, for instance, uh, in Germany, you mostly rent the spaces. And in Argentina, where you're also present, you go about buying uh, land as well. Or is it generally renting?
1: Usually we prefer renting. And the whole sector does because it's it gets very capital in, in, intensive if you start buying all these huge lands you need. Um, and also landowners usually, I mean, they pass from generation to generation their land uh, to their children and so on. And they do not want to sell. They want to own it. They want to have it enhanced. They want to, so to say, often also their own wind farm on their land. Um, So we really, in I would say 95% of cases, we we just rent and then there are some countries where you are more or less obliged to buy or where uncertainty is too big to rent and only then we consider buying. Uh, One case is Hungary, there, there are some regulations, so we prefer, for example, to buy land.
0: Is there a difference in wind and solar because I think solar farms are more dense?
1: Oh, yes, there is. Uh, Of course, uh, solar farms, um, they use much larger surface. Of course, people sometimes, especially uh, actually in Germany, they prefer um, solar farms because for some reason, and it's very subjective, they do not interfere with the general landscapes, uh, um, according to the taste of some people. Um, but they eat up a lot of land. Yeah. So, so you need for one hect- uh, for for one megawatt solar, you need two hectares. And for one, I mean, approximately, and for uh, for the the same uh, megawatt of of wind, uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much need no no ground space. You just have the foundation, um, and, and that's compared to a megawatt uh, solar, really nothing.
0: So let's go ahead to development. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, in development, then uh, w- once you have the land, then you need to do the uh, permitting, We call that so get the environmental approval, the approval of uh, municipalities, the buy-in of stakeholders, uh, a lot of hard work. Again, a lot of things you we have learned uh, the last 25 years, you need a lot of suppliers for that. So it uh, again, it has high hurdles to entry. You, you really need to Know how how to plan uh, and design and uh, and engineer projects in a sense that they fit to the environment, that the impact is limited, that it's acceptable to authorities. A lot of brain and engineering goes into that. So there we have our planners, but also engineers. And then, if you allow, or if you have more questions, we can come back.
0: But- I would would come back to the site acquisition development part, because I think the development part is mainly run by your local or central offices. And the site acquisition part, its is there a network you have on the ground, like you have location scouts or something like that, or are you doing it all by yourself?
1: Yeah, it's a mix. But these two phases usually are fully done by our Decentral teams. So the site acquisitions is done uh, in all the countries or in Germany, we have several offices. So people go to the uh, countryside and we have an holistic approach. And then the same people in most cases, they also then develop because we want that they manage all stakeholders, uh, that our colleagues um, have a full picture on the, the holistic project. Yeah, And then, uh, uh, so so they do it centrally but supported by, uh, decentrally, but supported by central functions. Of course, the engineering teams are central, um, they are in the headquarters.
0: Is there, on the cost side, before we come to financing, um, is there any trend you could make, Um, costs are going up for putting solar farms and wind farms on, or is it going down? What is the trend?
1: Unfortunately, these development phases, uh, they get more and more expensive and more and more risky. First, I mean, we already touched the land. So, of course, today, landowners more and more know about their privileged uh, situation. So the prices uh, of renting go up, especially as many competitors want the same lot. And uh, also the complexity of environmental permits is increasing. Yeah, we have, we have this contradictory momentum. On the one end, everyone wants to combat uh, climate change. And this is really what I think human mankind needs to focus on. On the other end, often the same people, they then want to protect the species. And I think we want to do that as well. But it often is uh, maybe uh, it's really extreme. No? So, so then you need to do more and more studies, lengthier studies, higher compensation. Um, and in the end, that means also that you often have projects that fail in these phases. Yeah? So also depending on countries in Germany, at least every second project fails in these phases and in France as well. So France, maybe not that many, in other markets, a bit less. Uh, in some markets, it could even be more. So it's really a risky investment, a very, a very high risk. And it has also high return That's, I mean, that goes always together or most of the time together. That's why we focus so much on this field. That's where our strength is. That's where high risk is. And we we take fortunately high reward also from these segments.
0: Do we have a hurdle rate for projects where you say, I want to have an IRR of 50% before I do this or...
1: Yeah, we do not so much discuss in hurdle rates. We are, uh, we are first of all we are driven really by by uh, the purpose of doing uh, and pushing the energy transition. So sometimes we even do projects that have a very low margin, but but we do it. We developed it, so we do it um, because it's also the volume. I mean, it has also some business reason. The more volume you have, the better is your buying power in the market. So. Um, the main purpose is the energy transition and then of course, uh, usually, I mean, we would like, but that's often just visual thinking and or sometimes it's bigger, we would like to have on average a 10% maybe a margin on, on the capex, on the whole project capex. So, in, in of course, in this, if you invest one euro in a side acquisition, you need, uh, I mean, think uh, at least that you double that. Yeah. So, if not, you will not sustain. If every second project fails, every second euro is lost. So, you need, I mean, double at least. Or, or I mean, you can take from that that usually, I mean, a euro that early on is invested, we expect it to multiply.
0: Then let's go to the financing phase.
1: Yeah, there are our central teams as you ask come in. These are really finance experts that have the relations, as we said, with uh, family offices, with uh, um, insurance investors, pension funds, municipality investors. So a lot of different segments, uh, and also they do the financing uh, with banks. Yeah, so usually we work with commercial banks because that makes it easier. Multilateral banks is uh, is a long lasting process only in some emerging markets we do that and and yeah and uh, and they add a lot of value i mean if you if you have not the means to finance a project then you need to sell at a at a much higher discount Um, that's why our strategy definitely is uh, to sell turnkey. Uh, we come to that, I think, later and in, in, in some minutes. But the, the strategies really develop, finance, build, and sell. Yeah, when the pro, when the uh, when the asset is de-risked, so to say, when it's operational, then the risk drops immensely, and then uh, uh, then we pass it on to an investor that has a long-term view and just looks at it as a bond, yeah. uh, in in a sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Then it's. I have no question on the financing side. I think it's quite clear to me. Then let's move on to the construction and uh, sales.
1: Yeah, construction. We we have then uh, strong engineering teams, uh, and construction electric engineers that can build uh, the civil side as well as the electric parts. So it's about grid connections today, as I said before. Um, these these teams, um, yeah, bring. Uh, organize all the construction. I mean, not a lot to say. So we do the foundations, the access roads, the grid connections, the fences. I mean, the installation of solar plants, whatever is needed, we organize it. Uh, Of course, we have a lot of subcontractors that we use um, that, uh, I mean, yeah, that that we bring together. No, we are not a construction company as per se.
0: Where do you have scale advantages in this part of the value-added chain, um because you've grown and you are in different countries so are there any scale advantages
1: scale definitely we have scale advantages in um in in all of these um value chains yeah so for example if you if today you want really to identify sites in a very competitive environment, you need to have a complex GIS systems. So you spill that out to all the markets and regions you have. Um, if if you do development. Uh, development is maybe very individual so i'm not sure if we can here talk about scale it's more the experience uh, the repetitive uh, learning of our colleagues that stay for many years thanks uh, thanks uh, i mean we are thankful to them really and we have a very low churn rate on 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 people people stay with us uh, and we we like to have them on board uh, we are family but I would not say that scale financing is definitely a kind of scale because you the market is not so huge so often you repeat with banks so once you have done all the structures in the market let's let's for example uh, use France as a showcase so in France we do per year two three four uh, financing uh, transactions and then uh, and we do maybe uh, these transactions with only two or three banks or so over the years there's a lot of scale you know the bank they know us as a trusted customer so it's a lot of these relations you have and and then the transactions are a bit i mean i I do I do i I'm it's not nice to say that to our colleagues who in detail need to fight a lot and work a lot but there is of course some copy and paste no you do not start from scratch. For example, our first transaction in in Greece last year that took a a lot of months, just negotiating the contracts, uh, educating maybe some of the stakeholders involved. Uh, But now we do the second transaction, and hopefully it goes much uh, smoother and faster. So these economies of scales you have. And in construction and procurement, I would say, of course, there is a a very important topic, to have uh, economies of scale. If you buy modules, um, suppliers in China, um, for example, they would not talk to you if you have not a certain minimum size. Indeed, that is really important to do projects and to have a strong pipeline to be taken serious and the same for wind turbines.
0: How do you make sure that the best people like to work for you and stay at AboVind?
1: First of all, it's really a challenge today. Uh, it's more a challenge, fortunately, for us to find new colleagues. We, we are a growing company, so we have uh, grown to 750 colleagues now, um, all adding a lot and bringing their energy. So what do we do to keep people? First of all, of course, we want to have a nice uh, atmosphere. Uh, we want to keep the, fa- uh, the family spirit, uh, fast decision-making, Um, so that people see they have an impact. What they do really has results. They do not report to abstract boards. They talk to the owners, uh, to the board members directly. We have open door policies. Um, And yeah, this is important to keep this culture. We have the purpose, of course, of the company I refer to several times. So we work really for something that motivates us all every day. That also makes people stay, and then of course we adjust to more, let's say modern, modern uh, topics. We introduced uh, home office before Corona, so that's an important topic people ask. So we we more and more uh, allow that. We we have smaller pro- programs, uh, but that add. Um, so we have, for example, e-bikes. Everyone can get an e-bike. once one. Um, yeah before corona we had a lot of social uh, socializing sport teams uh, i mean all all these things add up and i think the most important is really this this abo culture that we try to pursue uh, uh, um uh, that it continues existing for the last 25 years so, and and maybe sorry <laughs> one last thing uh, i think what is important at abo is uh, is we 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 allow uh, and see people as holistic. Everyone is allowed to be who he is. Yeah, no matter what his orientation is, or her orientation, or um, yeah, what what one likes. So we we do not come to the office in suits and a facade. It's really okay. We are uh, the people that that we really are. No, that that's important.
0: In this diverse setup, um, how do you keep the, the what? You already mentioned as one strength the fast decisions. Being able to make how do you keeping how are you being able to make fast decisions even if you're growing like this?
1: It's a it's a big big challenge really, and we address it every now and then, and and think about what we can do because yeah, when you grow, people do not know every department, so there's uncertainty, and that, that's perceived uh, everywhere. What we do. Just recently, we introduced something um, that we call, pro- I mean, project groups we have for many years. Now we have a country group. These are groups where we have every function in such a group. So the project group obviously focuses on one project and they they are really asked and we, we um, try to, to give them all the freedom to take the decisions. Uh-huh. So... So we and this of course enables after certain discussions very fast decision making. So these projects, things if they need to, let's say, make a decision on a on an additional investment, no one needs to go to uh, to so to say a top level management or so. And if if still uh, someone needs, they they simply drop in the office. It's it's really uh, very very direct. Uh, so and, and how in the. Uh, yeah. Go on, please. No, no, really these groups, that, and we have the same for the countries, so we, we delegate a lot of decision-making now to the countries. There's then a finance person, a development person, a country head, a engineer even, So and these really should send, uh, concentrate on the country market, gain know-how, and make fast and, of course, qualified decisions. It's not only about the fast decision-making. People need to be enabled then also to... Take the right decisions.
0: Maybe let's finalize this graphic with the services. Um, is this maybe let's start with the the revenue basis? Is the services your main recurring revenue part, or are there other recurring revenue parts in your revenue structure?
1: In a in a very narrow sense, that's the recurring revenue, but it's it's below ten percent. And, and it is, uh, I mean, I should have said that uh, coming back to your question, this is very sensitive to scale. I mean, we, we grow. We also will grow by um, an organic acquisition. So we, we, we really, we also will buy um, service parts and, and uh, yeah, O&M parts from other companies. Um, it is a very competitive market, so margins are thin, but yes, of course, they will contribute to the overall success, uh, but the, it, the recurring, the recurring um, aspect in our business is that we reinvest and grow in our pipeline development, and I think you will come back to that later. It's more like, uh, I mean, for those that do not know the sector, maybe it's a bit more like the pharmaceutical industry. we live on on our pipeline and the quality, where it's located and what the value is. So that's the interesting thing.
0: You want to renew my energy? Then please subscribe to this channel, leave a comment or a like. This boosts me and drives me 100% carbon free. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can also write a review. That's great. Thank you. Then let's go to the pipeline. Um, you've, you sector your pipeline in phase one, phase two, and phase three. If I'm adding this right, what is the difference in these phases?
1: Phase three is the most easiest. is the easiest. So we uh, we there we built already. All construction is imminent. So projects. Usually they are already financed, so these are the ones that you will uh, see uh, grid connected in most of the time less than a year. Uh, in phase two, these are permitted uh, projects, and phase one are uh, projects where, um, where uh, if I'm right, I cannot read the the small the small things here. So I will secure permit in re-check. progress. Yeah, exactly. So, that's what we discussed before. So, where, phase one is really where we have a certainty that projects can do it and where we have the land secured.
0: Where are the biggest risks in this phases and how much default risk do they roundabout have? You already mentioned it, but...
1: Yeah. yeah, you 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 nicely asked these questions before to understand the business model. So now it's easy for me, hopefully, to explain. So in in phase one, you have come over this land hurdle. Yeah, often often we do lose land rights in in uh, in competing schemes. For example, in Germany, the forest, uh, the state-owned forests, they tender their land. So you participate with 20, uh, 20, for example, twenty competitors, and it's really a race. Uh, but once we have the land, then the major risk is, of course, the permitting, and and this has most of the time to do with, uh, yeah, environmental um, topics like protected species. In these in these areas, you still, I mean, we do of course pre So there, there's if we are in phase one, we have pre pre checked the sides, but still you can find, uh, for example, a protected bird, an eagle, a Rot milan, or or um, uh, or yeah, or even some some smaller animals or bats. So a lot of things can make projects fail there. In project two, when you are close or about to have a permit, then uh, most of the time they no longer fail. I mean, then something really strange needs to happen. Um, Maybe, for example, in a political, very unstable environment. We had one project in Argentina when the the crisis fully hit. So we had a project permitted with a tariff. And now it's maybe about to fail, very small one. So it's not so significant for the group. Um, But extraordinary things, I would say, can happen. And in phase three, uh, uh, fortunately, and <laughs> we keep our fingers crossed. And of course, we do a very professional job, but so far we had no failure at at that stage.
0: So, if you go through these three phases, where's the point? You will you will receive cash um, if you if you sell it after phase three, or how you're going about it?
1: yeah the usually standard business model. Now we need again differentiate into the markets we are in. But standard business model as in Germany or France is really in phase three. So sometimes we get some upfront payment or we get uh, because of the disbursement of bank financing some money to finance the construction. But the real um, ownership change, the flip of assets to the new owner is at um, COD, we call that the commission commissioning of a plant
0: if i if i as an investor would ask you how would you value the different phases and give him a certain worth how would you do this
1: yeah this is uh, i uh, if I turn it around, yeah. If you mm-hmm. allow, I I would sure. say how do uh, investors approach us, and uh, and this is transparent to the market, yeah. I mean, I can I could now tell you what whatever I think uh, or what we think, but what the market says. For example, there there were several acquisitions that I'm co- constantly confronted in analyst conferences or in investor talks. So uh, Nordex sold their um, project pipeline to RWE. So this was the benchmark in, in, in the market. So it was really uh, highly valued. Don't, don't ask me now exactly what the megawatt price was. or So I would need to Google look it Google is your up. friend
0: if you <laughs> yeah. want to find it out.
1: <laughs> exactly. Everyone listening today can can Google it. That's very transparent. And it, it's interesting because it, it had an impact on our share price. Yeah. And all the analysts were, wow, you are undervalued. You are undervalued. Yes, and we and we only can say yes, of course. I mean, we have a strong pipeline. It is mainstream now. It is in all markets. Uh, I mean, it's often a timing issue uh, when projects materialize, w- how fast you can f- bring them from phase one to two and then to three. But yes, indeed. Indeed, now, I mean, of course, if you look at our share, uh, Development, uh, share price development, but also at our competitors. i mean it it had an impact yeah the the whole uh, mainstream focus and discussion of the finance industry now on renewables on energy transition has an external impact. Of course, we internally also have done a lot to to sustain that.
0: Why is there no phase four like owning the wind parks yourself?
1: That's a very, very good question, and and we are asked also all the time, and uh, we also frankly sometimes discuss it internally if we should change that, but I think we do it the right way because we are, um, if I may use this financial uh, uh, terminology, we are a pure play, so to say. We focus really on the risk side. As I said no the risk is when you develop when you fight for land when you need all the intelligence the tools to to really bring this project to permitting and you need to understand that this this is not only let's say oh we do it in a year no in France this takes sometimes eight years in Germany now it's maybe five years so it takes a long while and it is high risk and why when then when then you have grid connected then the return is, is uh, uh, is pretty pretty low. Then it's more the characteristic of a bond, you know, because you have repetitive, very stable, very easy to plan returns and uh, uh, and and revenues you know, over 25, 30 years. And this is cap- capital intensive, of course. And we think instead of having this lot of capital in in for the long run. Uh, in an investment, we reinvested in this first phase, which has a overall higher returns. So that's the story.
0: We already see the, have seen the project development value-adding chain you have. Um, what, are other, what are your competitors in this space? Hey, Tillman here. I'm sure you're curious about the answer to this question. But this answer is exclusive to the members of my community, Good Investing Plus. Good Investing Plus is a place where we help each other to get better as investors day by day. If you are an ambitious, long-term oriented investor that likes to share, please apply for Good Investing Plus. Just go to good-investing.net plus. You can also find this link in the show notes. I'm waiting for your application. And without further ado, let's go back to the conversation. It sounds a bit like you have a certain ownership culture in the company. Is this also reflected in the shares, like that people that work at your company own the shares? Or is it like many German companies where people don't own shares, even if they are highly engaged?
1: I unfortunately would say it's rather letter. Yeah, people are fully engaged and and uh identify highly with the company are committed and as as uh, as i do but many never took the chance to buy you know, to buy shares um this is a maybe i think a bit like everywhere in germany there's not so so much a, a, sh- a shareholding culture but of course of course we have many many colleagues that own shares i mean my, myself as well of course but uh, I mean, many colleagues and very early on bought shares, and of course they now also are happy. No, I mean, uh, fortunately for us and for them, um, it has it has paid paid out a lot. No? if you if you bought shares three years ago, it has tripled, and if you have have bought them ten years ago, then uh, the return is even higher.
0: Do you have certain programs for this? Um...
1: No. We, we were also, the truth is, we were often asked uh, from colleagues, hey, shouldn't we have a share program for employees? But we need also be realistic. We are still a mid-sized company and, and we cannot, I mean, we, I, I explained before, we do a lot for our colleagues. We try really to make it a great uh, environment to work for, but there are limits also. And uh, these share programs are very costly. Yeah? so. So we encourage people to directly buy shares and uh, from their bonuses or from their uh, regular salary.
0: Then let's go to your key topic, the international profile of ABO Um Maybe let's take a look at this map and can you try to tell a bit about the history, how it developed and um, what were the first countries you expanded to from Germany and why also?
1: Yeah, this is also very, very interesting. And it starts in a, let's say, funny way and then gets more and more systematic. So when when we started, it was all entrepreneurial and small and the industry was really immature. So you could also say at a certain moment, some years, many decades ago, I mean, the map was really totally, I mean, how can you say it would be a white space for renewables? There was maybe Germany, a bit in Spain, a bit in other markets, and then the world was without renewables. So you could pretty much go everywhere and start the business. So, and how did it work at that time? So we first went, for example, Spain and Argentina, were among our first markets. And how did we do it? Frankly, we it was we we knew someone, someone worked here, went back to the whole market, and it was purely let's say this ad hoc moments, entrepreneurial, seeing an opportunity. Yeah. In retrospective, we could also say not systematic in, in a sense. Yeah. So then uh, there was the next phase where we uh, started to have uh, teams that de- defined criteria that filled out huge Excel sheets to identify new markets. And the, for example, one of our most uh, successful market entries was to uh, to Finland. And this was a really an analytical thing. So we, we came with a lot of pro, uh, uh, countries of the world and then drilled it down and Finland was the outcome and then we went there. It was the first uh, really fully systematic market entry. And, uh, and five years ago, then we started to double the speed of expansion, we doubled the countries. And uh, and there we we also used quite a systematic approach, but also used different, um, I would say, criteria.
0: So, can you tell us a bit more about the systematic approach? What is important for you before you enter
1: uh, a new market? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, it's so uh, it's so um, uh, has so many angles. Yeah. Even if you do a lot of analytics, you, at the end you need to say, "I take the risk." But yes, no, I, I will. I will tell you a bit what we do. So we 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 look at the renewable sector. Yeah, what what is the prospect of growth? We look at the political level. We look at if parties that are in government and parties that are in opposition support energy transition. Yeah, we look at the bankability of a country of the rating. So if is it investment grade? then it's much easier for us to get commercial bank financing, which I explained before is, co- is a core part of our business model. Yeah. So, I mean, and you would would be surprised which countries are bankable and which not. For example, we see Colombia. Colombia has been, for most of the time, investment-grade country, so you can get bank finance there. Yeah, Tanzania to pick our, our one country, obviously is not. Um, then we look at uh, cultural fit. Is the language? I mean, is it a huge barrier? Is there a time zone zone difference that is too big? So, it's really a, a long, long catalog we look at. But at the end, it's it's even if all is ticked, yeah, you need to say, hey, can we do it? Have we an access? Can we can we find projects early on? We often do a bit of test in the market. We talk to institutions. We talk to even competitors. Um, so it's it's really a process today. What
0: markets are close to where you said, okay, there were many, many boxes ticked, but you finally didn't decide to go there? Are there any examples?
1: Uh, let me think about, I mean... Uh... Yeah, let's see the other way around. Where are we not yet? And we think it it might be good markets. So for example, uh, I mean, in Europe, we have the umbrella of the European Union, which I think is a very positive element. Um, And there we lack still Italy, for example, we lack Sweden, we lack Norway, we lack some Eastern European countries. So these are always, let's say on our list and uh and yeah we might decide with one or the other to enter but yeah even as if many boxes have been ticked uh, we then never took the initiative i mean you also i mean it's obvious but uh, it's also good to repeat you cannot do one after the other or even in parallel so you need to have a phase of expansion and then a phase of consolidating the countries yeah you need then really to I mean it's one thing going there opening an office uh, hiring five people and then start but then it takes you 5 years to make a profit in such a market. So uh, we have we have a bit uh, uh, the the, uh, the uh, in waves expansion consolidation then we consider again a market so it it takes careful risk taking I would say.
0: How long does it take till you after starting your office in the market till there's something happened, is it five years or is it quicker?
1: It depends a lot. Yeah. But five years is really a good assumption. Um, If we go in a market and acquire semi-developed projects, and we did so in Finland, fortunately we did so uh, in Hungary. Then, then of course you have a faster, uh, I mean, route to the market because half of the way is maybe completed. Um, but if you just start with Greenfield, as we do or did in Canada or South Africa, then it takes you that that long. Maybe it's four or five, six years. It's really, a, again, it's an investment you need capital for. And again, it's another answer why we said, hey, we want to expand internationally. We do not want to focus on Germany and keep our assets. No, I mean, if we would, in theory, have uh, infinite capital, then, of course, we could do everything at the same same time, but we prioritize uh, our core businesses, I have explained.
0: So, and it's usually five people who go into a new destination and build the an office there, or is it just one curious guy from Wiesbaden going there, and or <laughs> curious woman from Wiesbaden going there?
1: Yeah, often we have, fortunately we have these guys or women that want to go there and explore and feel that they are in the market and and do it and overcome all the challenges. But again, it's the systematic way today we do it. So we we try to do it in teams and we try to do uh, with local hiring. And uh, uh, um, let's say a minimum size is five. Usually we scale up quite quickly so yeah ten ten is a good size because again i mean i explained before the functions you need uh, you need different functions no i mean you need of course all these planning people you need you need colleagues that understand the grid connections um uh, people that can talk to customers there so it's a, it's a different set also not one person can do it all
0: how do you make sure that in this new units, the Abelwind culture still perpetuates or that your standards are held however you want to frame it?
1: Um, yeah, if you ask me before COVID, it would be much easier to answer because, of course, a mid-sized company lives on on interacting with people, that people come to Wiesbaden, uh, we go to the markets, we do a lot of uh, introductory Courses and trainings, and and uh, also in markets, go together with new colleagues to po- possible clients, institutions, banks, etc. So, I would say it's an ongoing process, and and you touch an interesting point because especially now after a Corona crisis, where where we, I mean, I have even not met some key people we hired, for example, in Canada. I'm not allowed to fly there. Yeah because of the regulations, so um, we cannot go there. Uh, And I have not seen some of our key personnel we hired last year. So, uh, but but that triggered also a more systematic way now. We want to create more formal onboarding sessions and trainings and get together. So it it needs, again, also an investment to, to keep people in this culture, in this ownership culture, in this entrepreneurial spirit, But it's also the day-to-day, no? If people act and commit errors, we need to accept it. We need to encourage people to take decisions. We need also to accept that it's maybe not always in a way that I personally or one of my colleagues would have done it, but there are different ways to, to do things in especially in different countries.
0: So the units are 100% daughters of Abowind, but they are, as I saw from the annual report, they are entities themselves, so you could close them without uh, having a bad effect on uh, Abowind, or how you have built the structure
1: there? I would say to the first part you mentioned, yes, they are are 100% Abo-owned and simply closing it, this would have, uh, I mean, Huge side effects. Usually, we are really for the long run. I mean, uh, look at Argentina. We are there almost for two decades now—not um, not totally, but uh, almost. And uh, I mean, we go through the ups and downs. No, we we believe in the long term potential of a market, and we invest. I mean, sometimes we invest less if there's a crisis. If the market gets more attractive, we invest more. So we are really for the long run. We have closed. Um, and it was even before I joined only one office, and, and that was uh, in Bulgaria. And it was totally because of a super adverse effect in, in the environment. I mean, if if company, if company countries introduce taxes that kill your business model, then okay, finally, you might have no cho- choice, then leave.
0: So for instance, in Canada, are there any people, or like in the general markets that I may, marked orange on the map, uh, is there always a person that comes from Wiesbaden or are there teams that are locally built?
1: Most of the time they are um, locally built. We, we have always a responsible, at least one or more in Germany. And the functions also dedicate a certain person to a, to a market. Uh, um, but uh, we, yeah, it's, it's most of the time locally. Sometimes we, uh, we deploy one colleague for a temporary period. Sometimes because there's an interest, someone goes there for the long term. Um, but uh, in a systematic way, we build local teams. And that's good because we need this local flavor. You need to talk to municipalities, to authorities, landowners, and as a foreigner, you you, are, you get lost. Yeah.
0: Which free markets are you most bullish about and why?
1: Which? What did you say? Which three markets, or which three?
0: With three markets, like three. Free, ah, yeah. Like the Germans say, free <laughs> th." Um, <laughs> are you most bullish about because they offer the most interesting opportunities, and why is that so?
1: Yeah, good, good question. In the end, every market we are in has a has a let's say an interesting story to tell and is attractive of course our core markets are germany and france and these are very profitable markets and where we have strong teams uh, for many decades now that these are the markets we know the environment best and it's, it's are the largest offices so i would be would be strange not to name them uh, among the top 3 for me it's also and this is maybe uh, also a bit personal uh, spain uh, yeah, I'm very bullish about. We When I started uh, in Spain, when I joined ABBY, you asked me, um, where did I start? And and I told you, I, I started in Spain and it was a dead market. No single investor. I had a list of at least 100 investors all over the world. I called one and next one and, they did not even want to engage in a discussion. And today we have huge targets. We have so many competitors. Every investor now wants to buy from from us in, in Spain. It's it's a, And it's a market that is self-sustaining in the sense that you do no longer need subsidies. So it's a free market also for renewables. It's there where uh, renewables already, I mean, push out everything else. Um, And it is a good showcase what we will see in the next 10 years all over the world
0: so these these two core markets in spain are your free bullish markets or is there any other market you would say Uh, if you wake me up in the morning at three i would say this is a great market
1: of really? I would I would say I I can continue now. You ask me three, I gave you three, but I can continue. For example, I'm in Canada. I, I like it. it's. A, we are still new there. We just hired a new, very good management team. We continue hiring. Um, we start. Uh, we have the largest project in in all Canada under development with 500 megawatt. Uh, in in Alberta, Calgary. We are in Nova Scotia where we develop. Um, a nice portfolio, very small niche market, but huge wind speeds. So it's exciting to do projects there. And suddenly there are things popping up, which I would not have anticipated two years ago. Suddenly a, a lot of people start talking about uh, exporting hydrogen, or like you might have read Fortescue is one of these big players. So suddenly you you start uh, seeing huge, possibly you start seeing huge uh, Export-oriented uh, hydro, green hydrogen projects. Yeah. So in Argentina, we now suddenly talk about gigawatt projects. In South Africa, maybe as well. In Canada, we do. We have one uh, discussion ongoing for a huge, huge project for hydrogen export. We discussed that in Finland. So a lot of. I mean, you, if you want, if you want to see excitement in these markets, um, yeah there's a lot we can continue to discuss about
0: maybe with look at time also let's go to the markets where you have the feeling there are more headwinds than tailwinds so the wind blows <laughs> in your face instead uh, in your back and supports you what markets are these
1: we have them always also and that's why we base uh, our thinking in a, in a portfolio no so that's why we have a diversified uh, set of countries in different maturity stages and different cycles life life cycles uh, whereas headwind um, for example in Tunisia the government um, needs to really uh, yeah organize itself in a sense they have not even uh, at least until recently named an energy minister. So the energy minister needs to sign all the uh, all the regulation. So in such a market, you have difficulties, of course. But again, the long run we see positive. Uh, in Tanzania, we have seen a, a change in presidency. So let's see, let's see how that evolves. We had headwinds in the past. So new president might give it a new positive impetus. And of course, we also need to say and admit that, I mean, in, in Colombia, especially in South Africa, we are hit quite a bit by Corona, no? I mean, if everyone who, who reads the news sees, hey, Colombia is still very much struck, uh, South Africa as well. Um, so it's it's not e- easy for our colleagues to travel, but that again, I mean, we then have so great people, they find their ways, they find alternative routes. We have done the first uh, environmental um, stakeholder, uh, uh, how do you say that, audience listening to stakeholders in a virtual way in Colombia. So this is really, I mean, it it creates a lot of innovation if you have good people that want to overcome uh, obstacles.
0: Did Corona make your company stronger?
1: On the one hand, I'm absolutely sure it Pushed innovations like digitalization. Yeah. I mean, today um, it's everywhere in the world we are connected via Teams. This was not so perfect in the past. And this saves a lot of flights, travel. I mean, in this sense, stronger. But also, I personally feel, but the, there might be different understandings. Uh, I personally feel that there's a threat and uh, and this is when you are so long apart, it works because you know each other. Yeah, you you trust each other, you know the procedures, the processes. But now we are in a phase, as I said, we hire additional people that have not been integrated before Corona. Now we are at a point in time where definitely we need to take a lot of care and to, uh, to not, um, have some people go astray you know, or to, that we do not lose people. So let's move on
0: to the other markets you're trying to enter. You already entered in 2014, you find it founded Abokraft and Wärme, which is, uh, heat and, um, heat energy and biogas, I think. 2007, you did set up your first solar park. Um, 2020, you built your first battery storage project. In 2021, you built the first solar and wind project together. So why did you go for these new businesses and what are your key learnings from them?
1: Yeah, um, first of all, I think I mentioned it, but it's also good to repeat our founders' they're motivated by the energy transition. So it's not, let's say they say, hey, there's wind, we can make profit. No, they really want an alternative energy system. They want uh, to combat uh, um, global warming in a social-friendly way. So it's not one technology that will be sufficient for that. So because of the interest, and and here I refer really now to the owners, uh, uh, um, founders, original founders, um, they were very interested in bioenergy. I, that's not my field. But uh, we have, especially in Germany, we developed early on some uh, biogas projects. It's a, it's a business. We never expanded it to international markets because it's complex. It's more a logistics-driven business. So it, it is not like a wind or solar farm. A wind and solar farm, pretty much you build it, then you run it. But you, I mean, there's not so much to do. But logistics in biogas every day you need to manage the um, uh, the, the streams of uh, material. It's a different business model, and um, and some of these and most of these things are now in the craft craft and wärme as you mentioned. You know? So then then uh, and this is uh, uh, internationally also relevant. We started solar five six seven years ago I already said when when we suddenly felt hey the the solar market gets uh, gets competitive before it was a subsidy market yeah only living on subsidies and suddenly like in Mexico that was one of the trigger moments it beat uh, it beat the wind in tenders yeah and then we started hey we need to rethink we started large-scale solar projects. Um, and uh, we hired very, very experienced colleagues. And now every second project is a solar project. We start. Um, and the reason that you mentioned rightly is storage. Um, again, we repeat a bit in the same way. We hired a very, very ex- experienced female manager and she built, built the business. Um, and it starts also quite promising. We build now a 50-megawatt project in Ireland. Uh, that's quite huge for uh, in, in, winter, uh, in, in in storage terms.
0: What are the business op- opportunities you're expecting from these businesses?
1: I mean, solar is like wind. It's a very profitable long-term business. Solar is the most competitive one. We, you can do large-scale projects in, in most of the countries. We are operative. Uh, We have countries where we just do solar, like in Colombia, for example. Um, Yeah, what can I say? I mean, the same business model, as I explained, applies. We have good margins there. Again, about to say something, we expect also the 10% uh, on average on CAPEX, um, at least in in the long run. Uh, And... And storage is of course, there we have different business models. Storage will become part of some solar projects. We call that then hybridization, but also storage will be a standalone. And then you have different services like frequency control of grid uh, grids. Uh, you shift the uh, supply and demand some hours from let's say peak peaks production of solar to the evenings. I mean, lots of business models and also we we have another business model um, off grid uh, or or let's say we, in weak grids where we really um, supply with batteries um, communities or large industries also so so it's a it's a key component batteries uh, to I mean to to get closer to see, uh, to 100% renewables in the grid yeah. is there any big extra risk from going into these new
0: technologies or is it Doable with the existing knowledge you have. So, how are you making sure to manage the risks good in these new technologies?
1: I definitely, you need a different uh, know-how. That's why we have created the group on batteries. It's not that someone does it that has no clue. As I said, we hire an experienced manager. Um, we also hire additional colleagues. There is one aspect maybe that's especially different. You need really, this needs a management system. So you need to understand when to load a battery, when to... Give electricity to the grid again. So this needs an intelligent system, which usually, usually in solar and wind, you do not have. Yeah? I mean, solar you produce when there's sun, wind you produce when there's wind. But in the in the in the storage business, you need of course intelligence, and this is more software based. So I mean, there will there are additional competencies needed, and it's more uh, even more market driven often. So you need to anticipate in the next ten years how volatile will be a market because you want to uh, get the energy when prices is low and you want to feed it back into the grid when when prices are high. So and this you need to do as often as possible to make a battery profitable.
0: Investors often love options uh, in businesses that might become a bigger business. So. And I have the feeling that in the energy market, a lot of things are speeding up now and changing and cost aggression is kicking in at a certain point. So where do you see this or where's ABOVIND already lurking around in spaces where they could build new businesses we haven't even talked about yet?
1: Yeah, I would say the big thing, the big new thing is hydrogen. You You have read about it, I'm sure. So hydrogen will be needed to decarbonize some of our industries. It might be needed uh, in uh, long distance transport. It might be needed, I I don't know, in some specific areas, maybe some in heating, some backup uh, um, generation assets. So this is a big, big new thing. For us, first of all, it's a huge driver because every green hydrogen um, element you will will find uh, needs some uh, uh, renewable assets behind. To, to generate it. Um, but second, we also um, in partnerships or alone want to do to expand into this area to do decentral integrated hydrogen businesses. We see a lot of opportunity in combining all the, all the all the technologies we have. So we have hybridization in Spain that takes off now. So we combine wind, solar, and storage maybe in the future hydrogen. So a a lot of things really that will come together and that will more and more replace the conventional assets we still see in the market. And that will be there for a while still.
0: Like It's a hard question to answer, um, but I find it's interesting, so I tried. So if you compare like being in 2011 and being in 2021, where would you say I'm more... Hyped by the chances you have in renewables, which year would you pick? This year or 2011?
1: Me personally, I would pick today because I I like now that it becomes mainstream and omnipresent and we, we really do now the transition. If you see it more from an entrepreneurial, avant-garde, uh, visionary perspective 10 years ago would maybe uh, still be more fascinating. But even today we, we have that now. I mean, what you asked at the beginning, looking 10, 15 years ahead, how will it look like? How will it work? I mean, there are so many open questions we need to answer, and that's really what all our colleagues work on. That, that's a fascinating thing. No, We need to do it. Our Wind wants to be part of it. We need to be successful with the energy transition, if not... Uh, first of all of course we uh, we lose against uh, climate change with catastrophic uh, impacts on on all of us but also it might mean if we do it in the wrong way to lose jobs or uh, uh, to, uh, yeah, to uh, yeah to to have too many um, people that we lose uh, in in the way to full decarbonization
0: so for the end let's talk about a bit of- about entrepreneurs uh, behind Abovind, uh the family Bockhold and the family Ahn, uh, Abo. Um, what is there, like they're currently holding 52% of AboVind. Is there a certain point where they go through capital increases below this 51, 52% threshold?
1: Yeah, first of all, of course, I, I do not want to speak in name of others. Yeah? So uh, it's up to them to to communicate these things or to uh, to give their personal view. But uh, what I can say, what we discussed at the board, we want to stay um, with this agility and entrepreneurship and fast decision-making, and it helps to have the owner on board. They have a lot of knowledge. They give a lot of energy to the company and they are, to my understanding, fully committed to keep 50% plus, plus one share keep control. So we have still, and you call it an option, I call it also an option. It's not that we want to do it or that we think about it, but we have the option, of course, to have an additional capital increase to to come to this limit.
0: Uh, In value investing, Charles Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger play... Uh, A important role and from ron buffett there's this quote that he likes to tap dance to work have you seen one of the founders tap dancing to work or how would you describe their energy today
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah i see them with full energy i mean i i again i could Tell some things which I do now not, but I think that's no secret. Matthias Pockert, for example, is uh, a sports person, so he comes sometimes by bike, and uh, I mean it's not 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 a tap dancer, so to say. Yeah. Uh, one secret about me: I mean, I I love uh, Argentine tango, so um, you you might see me sometimes dancing tango. Um, uh, in a good spirit for ABO as well. <laughs> so,
0: Maybe another take s- picture, yeah. secret, I don't know, I haven't found it in the annual report. How many shares do you own of ABO? Um, and is it a significant portion of your wealth?
1: And unfortunately, not yet, but I'm building up. I I hold, uh, yeah, some, uh, some, I, I should not disclose, but some 10,000 euros, but uh, no,
0: so there's some room to grow there.
1: There's room to grow. I, yeah. I actually uh, look. I I tried. Um, I tried to invest more, but then the share price uh, was uh, always in front of me, so to say. But yeah, I mean, I continue build it up since, especially since I'm I'm, I'm board member, so uh, it's a small uh, shareholding. I also. Uh, yeah hold uh, different other things we have, like mezzanine financing so i'm I'm fully committed um that's not the question, but
0: um, yeah, do you personally then think that the share is overvalued at the moment
1: or no i i would I would say not, but uh, it it has it has actually yeah it has risen three times in value in the last year, so uh, that's really a success. As I said, it's driven by our um, build-out of the portfolio. So we have we have continually grown the project portfolio, and uh, and uh, yeah, we will. Uh, I mean, we will continue continue doing so, and it's also driven, of course, by uh, by this new general, very very positive environment. It's also driven that we are now perceived as a much lower risk company because as I said in the past, we have been in a niche. Now we are the core of the energy transition. Nothing will move without uh, renewable projects.
0: We have already the picture of the wind park in the back and one topic that comes up before my final question. Is repowering an important topic for you? Like replacing of old engines with newer, bigger ones?
1: Yes, it, it is definitely, um, especially in markets that are more mature, like Germany. And uh, uh, yeah.
0: Do you have a rough estimate how much is is in the pipeline that's
1: repowering? In uh, in Germany, it it gains very uh, high significance, uh, but I can now not tell you how how much it is. Maybe maybe ten up to 20% of the
0: pipeline. Maybe we, I will get the information from Mr. Kofka. Uh, I could yeah. put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> like the final question before you have the chance to add anything if you haven't discussed it. Where do you see ABOVIND in 10 years?
1: Yeah, I see, uh, I see us in more countries. I see us uh, doing much larger projects than today. That's why we increase our capital. That's why we issue... Uh, subordinated loans. Um, I think we will, yeah, we will be a key element of the energy transition. Right? So we will have grown in the service area we discussed before, so uh, by uh, organic, uh, unorganic acquisitions, as I explained, uh, and or, and a lot of organic growth so uh, stronger positions in batteries uh, significant position in hydrogen in batteries and uh, in more auxiliary auxiliary services no you said it i mean all will be integrated so there will also be more intelligence coming to all of that uh, so intelligent uh, use of these energies software um, i think we will also of course grow in size Maybe we are double, I don't know, but that's not a target for us. We want to be a part of the energy transition and uh, and have a significant position. So, growth in itself is not an aim, but it comes with the market. Now, when the market grows, of course, ABO Wind will grow.
0: Then, do you have anything to add for the end of the interview we haven't discussed?
1: I think we really have touched a lot of topics. I, I think, and I'm, I'm happy you invited me. I mean, you, you are calling yourself good investing, and I can only encourage the financial community to continue investing in renewables, not in conventional assets. Uh, we as ABO want to be part of the journey. We'll continue to drive energy transition. Yeah? So I think we touched it all. I think that's the spirit, the purpose. Thanks for being with you today
0: thank you very much for coming and thank you and thank you also to the audience have a great day y'all bye bye as in every video also here is the disclaimer you can find the link to the disclaimer below in the show notes the disclaimer says always do your own work what we're doing here is no recommendation and no advice so please always do your own work thank you very much